Welcome to the Me The Money Show. I'm Dan Barnes, Editorial Director at Markets Media Europe, and joining me is Lynn Strong in Dodds, the editor of Best Execution magazine. Lynn, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Dan. So today we're going to be talking about the UK's desperate equivalence with the US, or attempts to force that through. The European Central Bank is questioning whether there's any value in distributed ledger technology, I believe. And finally, the Greenwich Associates analyst firm has been looking at the aggregation of different technologies for hedge funds, order management and execution management. Which of those would you like to tackle first of all? I'll tackle the Financial Conduct Authority. And this has been mooted last year, but it's hoping to upgrade its relationship with the US in order to give UK firms permanent access to American securities and derivatives markets in the post-Brexit era. As we all know, equity trading has moved to Amsterdam more than people expected in the first month and derivatives trading has moved to uh, New York. So the UK watchdog is working very closely with the Commodity Futures Trading Commission about a permanent footing for UK trading venues to operate in the US. And this was all told at a city and financial global virtual event. And if this is granted with the CFTC, this recognition will provide UK firms with the certainty they need to conduct their business in the US with confidence. The FCA is also in discussions with the Securities and Exchange Commission over access to the US for swap dealers. The SEC recently published a note and draft order of the UK's application for what's called substitute compliance, which basically means swap dealers would not have to register with the U.S. regulator as long as they comply with comparable rules in their home country. So that's, you know, the equivalence argument. And if that approved, the U.K. will be one of the first jurisdictions to be granted this recognition by the SEC. Also, the FCA is supporting the U.K. government's negotiations with the U.S. on a wider trade agreement. And these efforts build on agreements made before Brexit came into effect at the start of the year. And this meant they wanted to minimize disruption in transatlantic financial markets. So there's still a lot to be agreed. And the FCA, of course, is pushing for this because a trade agreement with Europe doesn't look likely at the moment. And this is also a part of the regulator's ambitions to expand the global footprint of Britain. And it wants to allow financial service firms to operate across different jurisdictions with greatest ease. Now, so the U.S. is one of the targets. Asia is another target. And they're specifically looking to strike a similar deal that they did with the Swiss and they're looking to do that with Japan. So that's that's what's going on in the uh, FCA. I'd be very interested to know what the quid pro quo would be for US regulators. You can see why British authorities need to do this without having equivalents in Europe. Then they're having to double up the infrastructure for any trading firms, having something in the EU and then something in the UK. But at the moment, presumably you have to have something in the UK and something in the US to operate over there. And yes, what would the US want? Why would the US want to remove that? I think it's just because it's a lot of bureaucratic red tape as everything is. So the U.S. has its own rules and regulations. And when they grant equivalents, it's the same thing when the EU grants equivalents, is that you have to comply with their own rules and regulations. I also think the U.S. wants access to the U.K., although I'm not quite sure why, because already trading, as I said, has moved to New York. And there is I could see the advantages more of the U.K. for the U.S., to be honest. But I think... Everyone talks about the quote unquote special relationship. So I think the UK is pushing for this more. And this, as I said, has been going on since last year and no one seems to be in a great rush. Well, no. the US doesn't seem to be in a great rush. 
No, that's right. The special relationship always seems to be based upon the fact that we all speak English, or at least <laughs> large parts of the US speak English, um, Spanish as well, of course. But that seems to be a large part of the relationship. It doesn't seem to be based upon a lot more than that. Well, having lived here for so many years as an American, I, I often wonder if we do speak the same language. But yes, I think it's the, yeah. I think it's based really on that, that, that um, the UK is really, I think the UK thinks we have more of a special relationship than the US does. Yeah, that's right. Now, talking of special relationships, the European Central Bank has issued a paper which is questioning the value of distributed ledger technology. This is absolute heresy to many people in financial services, as blockchain has been billed as the future of everything including special relationships, it seems. So what's behind this? <laughs> yes, I mean, I think this was quite a surprise. I mean, I don't think this was quite a surprise to market participants. I think it was quite a surprise that the ECB actually said this because they've been pushing distributed ledger technology or blockchain, you know, since time began and all the conferences that I'm sure you and I have both been to has said or the advantages it would have in the post-trade space. And so last week, the ECB came out saying, look, there's a lot of distributed ledger technology, DLT prototypes. There are a lot of real world experiments in the post-trade space, but actually a clear business case has yet to emerge for the technology. Uh, Mm -hmm. The report said that various institutional actors and market players are currently experimenting with a view to potentially enhancing efficiency and reducing costs. Again, as you know, this has been an argument uh, for many years. However, and this also isn't anything new, the lack of common practices and standards for adoption could increase the degree of market fragmentation. Yeah. So what they're saying is that there needs to be greater, a greater degree of interoperability with DLT-based solutions on common practices and standards that enable systems to basically talk to each other and other conventional systems. Again, this is not new, but I think... There's, it's always like there's the great hope and it's going to reach its potential. And after a year so far, we're still in the first stage of, you know, all these experiments. So one yeah. of the main challenges is, and this is surprising, the DLT networks have been developed in isolation for specific use cases. So, you know, you're going to fix this uh, operational problem and you're going to fix that operational problem, but no one's talking to each other. And and this includes data records, either on or off the blockchain, data structures, transaction protocols, consensus algorithms, data distribution, and distributed applications, which are also known as smart contracts. Yeah. But it is recommending two models of interoperability. The first is the trusted third party model, which is what it says. You know, you choose a third party to validate transactions or information, usually off the blockchain. So they're the middleman. And the second is a direct link model, which leverages technical arrangements such as smart contracts or swaps to ensure interoperability directly on the blockchain and between chains. However, this is more complex and much more resource intensive. So everyone is looking at uh, the third party. It's not just interoperability, though. In parallel, the ECB recommends a consolidated approach. And this is also very important based on regulatory licenses, conduct of business rules to ensure that there's a sound governance of security of post-trade services. And they think this would also create incentives for wide-scale adoption of DLT And it categorizes securities issuance and post-trade processes into models, depending on how DLT is deployed in each case. And it looks, and and, and they do a case by case. So what are the implications for the use of DLT at different stages of the securities lifestyle from issuance to custody to settlement? But for now, what you're having is hundreds of DLT solutions 
looking at all these aspects of the life cycle, including post-trade, but they're not, there's still no harmonization to date. So I think the ECB wrote this paper to say, okay, you know, we've been talking about this since time began. I think, I think we yeah. need to kind of do something about this now. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I mean, I've always thought it is interesting that lots of the consortiums that are formed to develop distributed ledger technology have the same banks on them. So it's kind mm-hmm. of like backing three horses and then saying that you, you really want your horse to win. Clearly, you don't. Clearly, you want you know one of your three horses to win. But by f- putting three horses in the race, you're actually creating competition for yourself. So if yes, you're the banks don't, the- Yeah, the banks don't seem to want to really work together, to your point. Yes, exactly. I mean, I was at a round table about four years ago where somebody pointed out putting 12 banks in a room isn't a recipe for agreement. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, so, so, so it's not too surprising. Of course, there have been many examples of banks coming up with interesting market utilities and infrastructure, and that has led to successful developments. The problem with distributed ledger technology is it basically just removes the settlement issue by bringing settlement straight to the point of trade. Now, the problem with that is that, that means you've got T plus zero settlement time. T plus zero settlement time was possible before uh, before there was any distributed ledger technology being used. It wasn't wanted. It's used in Russia and people don't like it because it means that you have to pass securities straight to the person who's going to trade them rather than hold them with a custodian until you, the point of trading. And that means that brokers have to hold on to the securities themselves, which is precisely yeah. the problem they have in trading distributed, uh, sorry, in trading cryptocurrencies. It's a custody issue. So it's not actually something anyone wants to solve. And the, other, the and, and I was going to well, say, the other thing is what they've learned is, and it's not in this paper, but and I'm sure you well know, is that you don't have to overhaul anything. And so to your point, a lot of the systems still work today. And so there's really no great impetus to change anything because it may not be as efficient as using DLT, but it's not that bad either. So you have other projects you might want to focus on than this, because what they're, I think the thinking today is that it's going to be on top of existing technology and not replacing the technology. And, And that's made a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And just very quickly, finally, there was a report from Greenwich on the emerging of technologies for smaller buy-side firms and hedge funds. Can you give us an idea of what Greenwich is looking at in that? So the Greenwich was looking at the blurring of lines between portfolio management systems and order management systems because of the cloud and the adoption of the cloud. Mm. And it says that the cloud provides easier access to features and functionality across solution categories and moves this needle closer to the buy-side vision of end-to-end integrated order, portfolio, and execution management systems, which they dub homes. And it found that, although we're not there yet, but this is kind of the direction of travel. And it it found that the, uh, well, convergence has been a a long running theme across the buy side industry, but especially with the smaller buy side firms, i.e. hedge funds, which typically manage less money. So about a billion to five billion than their traditional peers. They operate many more funds and have a greater compliance burden. Today, the OMS is still the biggest component of buy side Mm -hmm. equity trading desks. And also 55% of asset managers still choose a separate OMS and EMS tailored to specific investment needs, which highlights an opportunity to have a single platform that can improve the workflow to kind of challenge this configuration. And uh, David Easthope is the author and senior analyst. And he said, buy-side firms, particularly hedge funds, are increasingly moving to a converged solution for the poems along, well, it's basically for portfolio management systems alongside OMS and the basic EMS system. 
to improve the functionality. And he said the larger, more specialized firms are going to continue to build their own systems and platforms, although some are looking not to just build their own, but to look at vendor solutions, but they'll put it together themselves. If they look at vendors, it's much less expensive. And it was saying that about 85% of all funds are using third-party OMS, mainly due to the big push for PMS and OMS providers in the early 2000s. And the Mm -hmm. argument then was that building internal technology systems was seen as onerous and costly when compared to buying and customizing. And uh, so he ends, East was saying, for now, small to medium-sized hedge funds are well-placed to take advantage of this newer technology to improve their workflows, simplify their overall technology infrastructure, and increase their efficiency. But he thinks that down the road, in the next few years, this trend is going to pick up steam across the whole industry and, and, and different types of firms. Very interesting. That's I will tell. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, well, that's been great. Thank you so much. Thanks very much. Appreciate it.